Okay, I'm going to share a little bit from uh, a chapter in Romans. You don't really hear much about, I've never really heard hardly any preaching on it, but it is very, it's a very beautiful, uh, intimate, and very instructive portion in the Word of God, and it's Romans 16, 16th chapter of Romans. Romans, <laughs> right? And the fact of the matter is, when we read uh, the book of Romans and all the truth that was there, that is revealed there, many, many men of God through the centuries have said that this is the gospel within the gospel. When you read the book of Romans, it's extremely foundational. Very, very foundational. So, for instance, if a person is thinking about salvation or has been newly born again, you generally... And you have to be led by God, but they should read the book of John and then the book of Romans, because Romans, again, very, very foundational. And I think it's very interesting, too, that when you read this book of Romans and all this truth, and then when you get into the 16th chapter and then you see how personally uh, the Apostle Paul, in his love, was so involved with these people and yet never went to Rome. I think it's very interesting when, when we understand that. He, he never was even there. But what can God do in your heart when you're rightly related to him, rightly related to Christ in terms of other people, other believers? And uh, so, no, he was never there. And as a matter of fact, there's no record of any apostle or any leader of note that ever went there. Yeah? So, I think it's very interesting in that sense, too, because you see just how faithful God is, and he knows what he's doing, and because of every single thing, too, that was going on in Rome, it was of God's wisdom that there wouldn't be that type of a leader because there they were flocking to leaders like Caesar and there was emperor worship, you know? And he knew in his wisdom that God did that it was best that no leader would be there. So how did they get so many godly Christians there? And I think, too, also, I think the strong possibility is that when we read Acts, the second chapter, uh, the majority of, of, the, of the people there were, were, were Jews, but they were from a lot of different countries, you know? But then there were also all those other people from all those other countries that spoke all those different languages. And then when the Holy Spirit came and he rested on those born-again Jews, they received the Holy Spirit, that's when the actual church totally different for instance if you read about the congregation of Israel in the Old Testament that's not describing the church that is today at all the church that's united to Christ as the bride and the bridegroom but anyways they had at that time in, in the book of Acts at Pentecost all these different men were given the gift of tongues. Listen, the proper, true gift of tongues. 
and the Greek word there is glossolalia. Okay, glossolalia, and it's known foreign languages. But the Holy Spirit gave them this gift. And if you look at it in Acts 2, verse 10, right in there too, it says, and strangers of Rome, in other words, a lot of different people from Rome were there. They heard the word of God being preached by Jews who never spoke their language, speaking clearly in Italian, because they're from Rome, the gospel in Latin, you know, and just speaking it to them. And they got saved. And then they went back to their countries, right? They went back to their countries and started telling others about Christ. So really the reality is is that God through this, through these, what we're going to read, wants us to know just what a portion we do have in him. What? Because truthfully, he invested the best that he could in us through his son. I mean, he couldn't do any better than to give us his son. And he's invested him in us. And there's amazing purpose, not only in our own life and intimacy with Christ, but to affect others in ways that we probably are not even aware of. But yet, the great record keeper is, and that's God. But anyways... We're looking at the 16th chapter, and in verse 1, it says, I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, sister in the Lord, obviously, which is a servant, and then the, really the word there is a deaconess. She was a deacon. She wasn't on the football field deacon, and usually I don't like the kid around when I preach, but she was a deaconess, meaning that she had official, she was an official recognized uh, by God through the Apostle Paul of things that she was doing in that church in that local assembly and she was the one who carried because Paul when he wrote the book of Romans he wrote it from the city of Corinth city of Corinth because Phoebe here which is a servant of the church which is at St. Korea and St. Korea was of the eastern seaport of Corinth, about nine miles from the city of Corinth. And guess who carried this most incredible word of God that's ever been given to the church was given and entrusted to a woman to deliver it. <laughs> Pretty awesome. That's no small thing. Sometimes we, th we tend to think that we are so small, you know, and what kind of effect do we have on anybody? Why am I here? What am I doing? And so forth. And well, the reality is, is that maybe not until we get to heaven. Because I'm sure these people didn't even have an idea of what they, what, what they meant to Christ. And uh, so it says, I commend you unto Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant at the church of, of St. Korea, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh, and really means worthy. You know, in other words, there's great worth in us as believers, saints. And that's the name that was given, by the way, to us when we receive Christ. We're, we're saints. Unlike 
some other areas where, where they would use that word in different places. But the reality is the saints, holy ones, we're holy. But that you receive her worthily because there's a great worth that's been invested in us through Christ. And there's a great worth in others that have Christ in them so that we can assist her. Notice what it says? That you assist her in whatever business she has need of you. I want you to receive this woman, this woman of God, this lady of God. I want you to receive her and whatever business, whether it's spiritual or even her practical needs, I want you to assist her. I want you to assist her, whatever she has need of. For she has been a succorer of many. She has drawn many to the Christ that's in her. And God has used her mightily. Just everyday little people have that, uh, that God has sent to her for her to minister to. And then Paul says, and of myself also. She ministered to, the, to, to this great apostle, this, this woman. And she was a woman of some, probably some means and some education, really. But really, she was just a simple servant of Jesus Christ. And in serving all those other little ones in her life, she was serving Christ. She was serving Christ. And, and even Paul said, even of myself. And then he said, Greek, Greek Pris Priscilla, the diminutive form of Prisca. We won't have to get into all that. Priscilla's the woman, obviously, and Aquila, her husband. My helpers in Christ Jesus. It's very interesting, really, how it's said. Because what it's saying there, even in spiritual things, not in terms of headship. Because there'll be other places where you'll see Aquila, where he was listed ahead of his wife. When it came to in the home and so forth. But when it came to spiritual things, she's first. She was more spiritually mature than her husband. Yeah. But still, she recognized him as the head. And there were no divisions or anything in their relationship. So greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Imagine. The help that he needed that was going to come from Christ was deposited in them. And he submitted to them. That's beautiful. Yeah, he wasn't above them in any sense. He's making it very, very clear. He was not above any, any of them. They're all equal. They all had the same life in them. And he couldn't do without them, by the way. That's right. He could not do without these, these people. He said, but I, they're my helpers. They are my very helpers in Christ. In other words, they, they're giving me what I can't supply myself through Christ. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it? Watch what it says in verse 4. Who gave, who have for my life laid down their own necks. It's a very dangerous time then in Christianity. But they put him ahead of themselves. Yeah, a lot of times people do that. A lot of times Christians do that. And I know people here that have done that. Seriously, they, they put others. Philippians 2, 3, esteem others better than yourselves yeah esteem others better than yourselves not in terms of who you are in Christ but in terms of serving them and putting them first 
And Paul's making that very clear. The truth that's revealed there is amazing. And the intimacy that he had in oneness with Christ as just being one of them, not above them, but of them, is incredible. Because that's what he's teaching here. That's what God is teaching through them. And they, they literally, and it was a very dangerous time, they put themselves in danger by putting him first with the love of Christ that was in them. And boy, he recognized it. He recognized it. He said, unto whom not only I give thanks. In other words, boy, if they hadn't done what they had done, boy, I don't know what I would have done. And I'm so thankful. But also all the local assemblies of the Gentiles benefited by what that little couple did for that apostle. How many got the benefit? And I and listen, God wants us to know so much this morning, so much. He does not count anything like we do, like the little things that we do that are in private or behind the scenes the prayers, the little things that we do, they're so awesome to him. And anyone, true, truthfully, that is, has grown in grace and is very intimate with Christ will recognize it that way too. They will not take it for granted. They couldn't. And there is worth in terms of us submitting to one another. We, we don't come here, thank God, we don't come here to submit to a pastor or the pastor. We come here to submit to Jesus Christ who is our head. And that's why a body can function because they have a head and that head is Christ. And then in doing so, we have the life in us to submit to one another and see all the worth that's in one another. And he's making that very, very clear here. And God wants to make it very, very clear with us this morning that every single thing that we do is never, ever, ever to be compared with something else that someone else might be doing. Where we're never to compare ourselves with others. No, we don't have to live in comparison. We just have to simply live in who Christ has made us to be and do with the life that he's given us for that life to flow in us to do whatever he's called us to do. And he doesn't take it lightly. And, and the apostle didn't hear either. He said, I give thanks. But again, what they did benefited far more people than they would ever realize. And what God has us to do benefits us, even in our little interpersonal relationships, far more than we could ever realize. <clears throat> so he said, likewise, in verse 5, greet, and I love this for us. This is what I love. I really love these verses. This is where, where God, had, when he gives you things and how to think properly, he gives you the right scriptures. He gives you the word of God with which to think. So we don't have to live in opinions or doubt or confusion. And he said, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Very interesting. Who's the church? You'll see it in Colossians chapter 4. Verse 15, you'll see that again in Philemon, verse 2. You'll see it again in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Greet the church that's in their house. In other words, listen, that's why I teach this. And I, it doesn't mean anything to me if when we meet on Friday night, we call that a Bible study. I don't. We are the church gathering around Christ. 
it's truth. It is the truth. Every time we meet together, no matter where it is, who are we right now? How are we to define ourselves when we come together? We are the church. What's the church made up of? Saints, holy ones. Every time we get together, every single time we get together, who are we gathering around? Who, who, what's the, who's the main issue that we gather around to receive, to learn about, and to give to one another? It's Christ. It is. So likewise, he says, greet the church that is in their house. Look, look at what he says. Salute my well-beloved Epanetus. He really, he says, this man, this person, I, I, he is so well-beloved. In other words, this guy knows through the preaching, through the word that God had given Paul, this guy knows how much Jesus Christ loves him. And oh, when he knows how much, and when we know how much Christ loves us, how easy is it for us to love others? He's well-beloved, it says. He's well-beloved, who is the first firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. He says, greet Mary. Who's Mary? Who's this little old Mary? Literally. A lot of the men of God, scholars, theologians, they don't even know who she is. But God sure did. She's Mary. Ooh. And how many Marys are there in the world today? And do you think that Jesus Christ keeps track of them all? Knows each Mary? Yeah, oh, he does. Greet Mary. Look at what he says. Who bestowed much labor on us. The whole church benefited from this one little lady. Maybe it was one person. Maybe two that she really loved in Christ and served in whatever capacity. And that built that person up. So they were able to affect countless others. We don't know. Salute Andronicus and Junia. I love some of these names. My kinsmen, right? They were Jews like Paul, he's saying. And my fellow prisoners, they were one with me. They were my fellow prisoners. In other words, they entered into everything that I was going through. They ministered in their prayers, maybe in visits. Who knows? Maybe they served time with him because he was in and out of prison a lot, the Apostle Paul. But he said, they are my fellow prisoners. But even more so, Paul said in Ephesians 3, 1, in Ephesians 4, verse 1, as he was chained to a Roman guard, he said, I am not the prisoner of this person, not the prisoner of this guard, no, Oh, no, no. And the emperor may have put me here. And Nero, Nero may have put me here and chained me. But I'm not, I'm not his prisoner. I am the prisoner of the Lord. In other words, I'm here and I'm in this circumstance at this particular time in my life. And we can all benefit by this by no accident. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. If I am to be confined, God has me confined in that area so that I know Christ in the most intimate way. I'm his fellow prisoner, fellow prisoners, and who are of note among the apostles. In other words, listen, maybe the scores and scores and scores of Christians didn't know who they were, but I'll tell you, these little, these, those apostles, oh boy, they sure knew who these people were. They became one with them, even in their weakness. In their times where they needed, in their times of disappointment, 
right? You know, and really all our disappointments are our opportunities to get to know him. That's all they are. Yeah. Seriously. And even in our disappointments for all of us now, right? We, we were disappointed because in areas we counted on ourselves or counted on others for what we thought we might need or what we thought they might need. But that disappointment was God saying, no, and I'm saying this for all of us, believe me, in so many ways, they're in my control. And I may have given them to you in, their, in your life, but they're mine. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to take care of them. So in the meantime, while I take care of them, you, in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on me. You don't have to be anxious because your anxiety comes out of the fact that you thought maybe you had something to give them. But guess what? If you're not there, guess who's going to take care of them? And he will. He will. They're my fellow prisoners. And look what he says. Who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. He's recognizing, hey, they knew Christ before I did. I'm the great apostle. And yeah, the great apostle, why? Because of any greatness in me or the greatness of Christ and what he gave me to all of them. But he's recognizing, oh, they were in Christ before me. That meant something to him. And it meant something, obviously, to God. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Boy, he loved people. You know, he wasn't just this great or or to this great doctrinal theologian and scholar. <laughs> he wasn't just that. No, he loved people. He loved people. Because in all of his so-called theology and doctrine, it was all about the intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with himself, and all those that were one with Christ. There's an amazing intimacy. And that's what God wants us to see how amazingly intimate uh, he is with us and we and how he wants us to be with others. Salute, salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. He's not missing anybody. He's our helper in Christ. Hey, could he do it all by himself? So far, have we seen people that he had to rely on and portions he couldn't do without? So if you don't think that you have anything, guess what? You have a portion, really. And those that are close with Christ will absolutely recognize it. And it is, you have something that your local assembly, wherever God's called, you can't do without. Because <laughs> God knows what he's doing when he brings people together. He knows the value that's in the ones that he sends and in the ones he's sending to. <laughs> he knows. And he said, so salute him. And Stachys, my beloved, salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Know what he's saying here, that little word approved? This guy, this guy, Apelles, he's been tried, tested, and true. He's true. He's real. Like we would say, the person's real, you know. He's, try he's tried and true. He's approved in Christ. And so are we. <laughs> Salute them, which are of 
the Strobulus household, all the friends and those that are in his house. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Another Jew. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. He recognizes Christ in every single one of them. Oh boy, imagine if we live like that, huh? Just to recognize Christ. That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 2, too, even those that were in the church of Corinth, and at the time it was mass confusion going on in that church. He said, I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, glorified and lifted up in them. So, salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, some amazing names. These are women right here. These, these names here, salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Women had a very, very vital, and they do today, vital role in a local assembly. Oh, yeah. Big time. And that none of this has changed. It's a good thing, too, because, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the way it is, though, first. Every, every place that God has sent me, it's always this way. It really is. And then sooner or later, the men, like the dumb sheep that they are, the dumbest that they are, sooner or later, they come walking and, oh, okay, honey. Oh, look what I have now. It's a good thing, yeah. Mm. That's why that's why men may be the head in the home, but the, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. And someone once said, the neck is even the thing that holds up the head. <laughs> someone said that. But I won't tell you who she is that said that to me. <laughs> yes, they labored in the Lord. They labored in the Lord. There was labor involved, yeah, but they did it because they were doing it in the Lord. That's true labor. Uh-huh. They came unto him. When they were laboring and heavy laden, they came unto him. He took it all away from them and then allowed them to labor for him, yoke up with him, and rest in the labor that, they, that he was accomplishing in and through them. Salute the beloved Persis the woman which labored much in the Lord she said oh this one really labored much in the Lord she really did salute Rufus glad that's not my name Rufus obviously <laughs> here it literally means red so anyways just thought I'd give you that a little tip. write that in your notes he's Rufus he's red but he was chosen in the Lord see the Lord chose him and he chose him to affect my life as an apostle. Yeah. Chosen in the Lord. And watch what he says here. And his mother and mine. He loved her, his mom, like it was his mother. Wow. Yeah. See, it's not, it's not just this preaching. Gather and get the preaching and everybody go home. <laughs> no, there was a an intimate life, an intimate recognition constantly of who they were in Christ and the fact that they absolutely had need of one another. His mother and mine, and I love that. Salute Asyncritus, 
Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with him. He's naming them. He knows them all by name. It's very interesting, isn't it? The last time I checked, didn't Jesus know his sheep? Doesn't he know his sheep by name? In John 10, 3 and 4. Yeah. And Jesus, in Paul, becoming one with him. He's one with him and saying, oh yeah, yes, Jesus. I recognize and I love and I adore your sheep. They mean everything to me like they do to you. I'm not there just to be a great orator and give them great truths. I'm there because I need and love what they have in you for me and vice versa, and they mean everything to me. They do. And so I want you to salute every one of them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them, all of those who have been called holy because they're in Christ. Yeah. All, every single one of them. And what should you do? Salute one another. Greet one another. Love affectionately one another with a holy kiss. With a holy submission to one another. You, and you don't hold back. You do it. And the local assemblies of Christ salute you. And now he says this. Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions. Mark them. They want to come in and divide you from one another. Anyone or anything that would cause you to be divided from this oneness and this affectionate love that's going on. Mark them which cause divisions. And offense is what? Contrary to the teaching which you have learned. The teaching of Christ. And avoid them. Yeah, avoid them. For they are such as serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not interested in you because they're not interested in Christ. Oof. And intimacy with one another. They don't serve him. They don't serve our Lord Jesus Christ. But their own belly, their own emotions. And Paul said in Philippians 3.18... They, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They have become enemies. For your obedience, and, and oh, well, it says, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And boy, is that going on today. Boy, oh boy. Oh, no wonder Paul, we want to share that at one time in Ephesians 1.18, his prayer, and that's one long prayer that he prayed, that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you may know, that you may know Christ. Because the eyes are in the heart. In other words, how we see is in our minds. That's how we take in and see things in our very mind. The eyes, the eye gate to the mind, but how we see things and what we learn and take in about Christ. And it keeps us from being deceived by so-called good words and fair speeches, maybe because they're eloquent, and maybe because they can come in and speak certain things with an eloquence, but really doesn't have to do with Christ, his person, who he is and what he's accomplished, his intimate love for his sheep. Yeah? 
He's not, they're not using the sheep as a sounding board to demonstrate all their knowledge. <laughs> no, not at all. They have a love for the sheep. And they are able to deceive the hearts of the simple, the little people, you know, the uninstructed. For your obedience, and I love this, you know, when we, when we act in obedience to what we know that God would have us to do, areas in every area of our life, it's interesting how the love of God flows in and through us, isn't it? Because that's the test of obedience, it's, it's love. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. We know that God loves us, don't we? But how do we know that we love him? It's being obedient. And that simply, that doesn't mean we're doing. That means we're obedient to him and say yes to the truth. And that truth comes in and accomplishes the results. Our part is obedience. It's submitting our will. And boy, the results that we get are phenomenal. Is there anything like being loved by him? And being loved by him and one another. And isn't that what cements the body, a local assembly, and keeps out the divisions, and keeps out all those things that aren't of Christ? He said, for your obedience has come abroad unto all. In other words, it's affecting so many people. Oh, they say it, and they say, oh, I want that. I want that type of relationship. Oh, I want to be loved like that. Oh, I want to know him like they do. Oh, I want to. I, I've got to have it. I can't do without it. That's the same with us. I mean, we can't do without it anymore, hopefully, <laughs> in areas that God will continue to show us. So he said, I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet, and this is the one thing that he's saying, and recognizing Christ in all of these people and what their worth is to him, to Christ and to him. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that God would recognize the worth that we have in Christ towards God? Oh, boy. And then in, in terms to, even to the apostle and in one another. And so we can never say truthfully and honestly to God that I don't have anything to give. No, we don't. We can't, you can't say that. Not in his presence. No, no, because you have and I have by his grace. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good. And what? Simple or harmless, harmless concerning evil. And to be, to be simple. That word simple here is kakos. And kakos is the word for evil, intrinsic evil, the evil that Satan is before it became infectious or affected other people, but and, and with the Alpha A, without evil. <laughs> I would have you without evil, thereby being innocent in that sense. And then wise, wise, is a fikito, and it literally means to reach, to come down, then to arrive at, to be simple. In other words, there's nothing mixed and the simplicity that you have in Christ. We're not to mix anything with that. Don't mix anything with it. Uh, don't allow anything to be unsophisticated in your life. Where do we get sophistication? Where is that word? It's from the Greek word sophos, or the Greek names that we named a lot of you, Sophia, is wisdom. 
We're very wise. We're sophisticated. We know how to guard ourselves against evil. We're very sophisticated. And I would have, and Paul's saying, I would have you to be that. He said, why? Why? And this is very good for us, especially in the age and the time that we live in. Because there's danger in all of us of being too much occupied with evil. It doesn't do us any good. There's danger in it. And it does not refresh. It does not help our soul to go on in the things of Christ. Matter of fact, it stops it dead in its tracks. We're to abstain from every form of evil. First Thessalonians 5.22, we're to be abstained from every form of evil. But we are to be occupying ourselves and occupy others with Christ, period. Because the last time I checked, <laughs> does God know what he's doing? Does he care for our loved ones? At least as much as us. Or maybe a little more. Yeah. And at times we can. The enemy would want us to be so occupied with the evil of the seeming evil of what's going on in their life and become so occupied with it that all of a sudden, where's intimacy with Christ? I stop occupying myself with Christ and giving him to others. And I'm sure that none of us here have ever had that happen to them. Well, of course, but thank God that in Christ there's no condemnation. Nope. It's only loving correction and restoration back into intimacy with him. The evil itself does not become less evil by you and I being occupied with it. What good does it do us? Even in that sense, we need to cast all our care on him. For he cares for them. And by the way, who's the only one that can be occupied with evil and have something done about it? <laughs> the one that cares for them much more than you and I. And even what may happen to them from the people that causes it to happen, they may mean it for evil, but God means it for what? For good in Genesis 50, verse 20. Everything, the evil, that Joseph's brothers did to them, did it work together for not for not only two nations' good, but for the evil that the people were doing it to them? Did he work it together for their good? Oh, boy, and how much God has to get us to the place to be so occupied with Christ, but so occupied, and with not revenge or our seeking vengeance, <laughs> You know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. In other words, your business is to be occupied with Christ. My business is to take care of all of the issues that are in their life. That's a place of rest for us, you know. It really is. It really is for all of us. And we all need to do some resting about all our loved ones. I, I really believe so. Starting with me, who doesn't know where they are but God does it doesn't refresh but 
Where is it? We have the power of God in us. We have the power of Christ. And he, and he wants our heart to be occupied with Christ and the good that's in him. Because there's power. When we're occupied with Christ, there's amazing power. Remember, all power was given to him. Yeah, all power, Matthew 28, 19. And what has he given us? When we become occupied sometimes with evil, even about our loved ones, listen, 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. Being occupied with evil can bring in a spirit of fear, and then we react to it. But, but it says of power and love and a well-disciplined mind. How to think about it. Not to be over-occupied at all with the evil, but to be occupied with one who has dealt with it and will continue to do so. So to, to be simply occupied with evil is always a weakening thing. It weakens us. It weakens us. Why? Because God is not there. He's not there. And, and, and at times, even, you know, even, even as a pastor at times, a pastor and teacher, I have to study, and I do, I study all these so-called teachings that are not of God. And honestly, even being studying them and being occupied with them, they can affect you. They do. So then immediately after I'm done that, I get right back into Christ and feed myself with all the positive, wonderful things. Because I could be so over-occupied with it. Like what's going on in the church today? Oh my God. But really, he is in control. He is. He really is. So he wants us to be occupied with him. Totally and completely. Because God is a jealous God. Really. He's jealous over us. He wants our full attention. He says, I have all this love for you. I have all this love for you, and I want you to be occupied with it. And then you receive it, and then you have all that love that you're occupied with to give. <laughs> you be occupied with Christ, and then you can give them out. You can give them out. So, but in the care of others, of course, at times, in a, in a sense, we have to touch it, but it's only that we bring it to him. See? So in other words, the things that happen to our loved ones and the things that happen to us, we're to bring it to him. That's what 1 Peter 5, 7, it says. Watch what it says, and we'll close with this. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all, and we didn't even get into a lot of those names and what they mean. Maybe we can do it a little bit later because it's really incredible. But 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on me. Don't hold it. <laughs> Don't hold it dear to you. You know, because it's like taking coals of fire and holding them to yourself. What good is it going to do you? Like that's helping the other person you're concerned with, right? No. <laughs> it's not. No, it doesn't. So cast all your anxiety upon me, for I care for you. And what he's saying there is, I will give you my care for them in the right way. And that's what will give you rest and benefit them the most. Trust me. Really, as we say, trust me. Because 
because again, even those seeming disappointments, we talk, we preached on that one time. We talked on that the disappointments of life. This thing is from me. The thing that that is that disappoints us, that comes towards us in our life, is of Him. And it's usually a reason for us to not rely on ourselves, but to draw near to Him and rely on Him. And then guess what it says? And Jesus was speaking of the cross in John 12, verse 32. But He said, If I, if I be lifted up, I will what? I will draw all men unto me. Right? I will draw all men unto me. And that speaks of you and I trusting him for every single detail. Because the place where it was dealt with was on the cross. And that's what he was speaking of. If I be lifted up, and he wants himself lifted up in us towards ourself and towards so many others. And, and with all that he was saying about those precious ones in Christ, he knew that things would come in, whether it would be from the atmosphere, you know, that comes in to us and, and, and tries to make us see the whole thing about ourselves, about loved ones, which is not even true, <laughs> you know, and, and develop this whole thing in our minds. And it's all of a sudden, it's so huge that I must do something about it, yet I can't, and I'm frustrated. <laughs> That's what happens when we have, all of us have called, it's called this disease, over-occupation with self. And, and at times, you know, we think, at times, we might all think too highly of ourselves, maybe, you know, and not trust God and be occupied with Him, you know, to the point where, you know, and of course that does us good and everyone else, right? Let me tell you how I really feel. <laughs> Just press the button. <laughs> uh -uh. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, so, Lord, we thank you for this. Thank you for ending it on that beautiful note. Lord, and thank you that Jesus is the head. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>